Hey, Lord, you are good, and uh, we thank you for being an awesome God. We thank you for being a God who is direct, um, who a, God, a God who doesn't want us to um, not know your will, who doesn't want us to be in the dark. And Father, so today I ask that I would just be a messenger, and as we look into your word, uh, you would just open up our hearts to your Holy Spirit working in us and changing us and molding us and help growing and stretching us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last spring, AT&T started this new commercial series where they put the little guy, uh, or the, the adult, with uh, two kids on each side. Some of you have seen those commercials, okay? And so it was a, it was a huge hit for AT&T. And so today we're going to play that game, okay? So I'm going to give you like two things, and you have to tell me uh, which one is better, okay? So go to those slides for us, Tim. All right. What is better, clarity or vagueness? Clarity. 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 Matt Shoblin, why is clarity better? I like to know what's going on. All right, you like to know what's going on. You're not as cute as the kids in the commercial, but we'll go, we'll go with that answer. All right, he, Matt says clarity's better because he likes to know what's going on. All right, would you rather have precision or fogginess? Precision. Uh, all right, why, Jake, why did you say precision? Uh, I, don't, I actually didn't say precision. Oh, you didn't. I just said <laughs> you did. You said fogginess? Uh, I was leaning that way. You were leaning that way. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go to the third one. Do you like things to be clear cut or more ambiguous like Jake likes them to be? <laughs> clear cut or ambiguous? Which would you rather have? clear cut, right? Because we like things to kind of know what things are going to be. And sometimes I get onto my wife because she says things to me. She asks me things and they are so vague. And I'm not a person that I have trouble finding things anyway, like if it's right beside me. And so when she says, could you go out in the garage and get that one thing for me? It's over by that stuff that I put there last week. And it's in that one container, you know, that we got from that person who gave it to us. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, there's no chance that I'm going to come back with the thing that you want, okay? I just, I, I would, even if you told me what it was and where it was, I would still struggle. But now that you've been vague, I, I'm completely lost. I got a call a couple of weeks ago uh, for somebody that said, hey, we know that you take some pictures. Um, we're having this event at the warehouse. Would you come and take some pictures of it? And I knew a friend, I've got a friend that, that works over there and kind of directs the warehouse. And so I was like, yeah, it's a Saturday. I'll stop by and um, I'll take some pictures. So w went on with some more emails and some more phone calls. And every time we had more interaction, I started getting the hint that I really didn't know what was going on. Because she said, well, um, could, you, could you be there pretty much all day? And I was like, well, I, I thought I was just going to like show up and take some pictures. I really wasn't planning on being there all day. And then she said, well, when you take the pictures, how are you going to get the interviews in w with the pictures? And I said, what you, I don't know, what are you talking about? Like, because I was just going to take pictures. And she said, well, we've seen kind of this thing on YouTube and they interview the kids and then they, there's music with it. And then, and I said, okay, okay, tell you what why don't you send me the link to this thing that you're talking about and let me see it? Because as we went on and talked, I was really vague. She wanted, ended up, I ended up helping him. She wanted this full length video with music and um, interviews and all this, which was totally fine. But we started off with just taking a few simple pictures. And so sometimes when things are vague, it's just really awkward. You just don't know 
kind of where to go. It makes you uncomfortable. You're not sure what the expectations are. And so let's say this is going on. Let's say you're getting LASIK eye surgery done. How important is it to be precise? Pretty important, right? You don't want the doctor texting while he's like uh, doing the LASIK surgery, right? You'd like for him to focus all of his attention on what's going on. Uh, how about if you're buying something? Let's say you're buying, you're buying a new big screen television, you're using cash, you give them cash and they give you change back and like the guy just grabs some bills and some coins and just like puts them on the counter and you're going like, what? well, hold on. Like, now maybe that might work to your advantage, but isn't that a time where you're like, well, hold on, I like to like count my change. I like to know if I'm getting it back. I kind of want things to be clear and precise and organized. Or let's say you're uh, facing a major league pitcher and he's throwing you a 95 mile an hour fastball, how important is it to be precise when that is going on? Well, first of all, I'd probably duck out. I don't know that I could even stay in there and watch it come in, but it's pretty important. You don't want things to be vague or, or unclear or mushy. You want things to be crystal clear. So here's the word in the English language that I think is one of the most vague words that we have, and it's the word Christian. What does the word Christian mean? What does a Christian look like? What does a Christian believe? How does a Christian act? And here's the thing, if I went out on Kirkwood today and asked 100 people, here's what I would find. I would get 100 different answers to that question, wouldn't I? Because it's really vague. Well, people, well, it kind of depends. It depends on your background. It depends on if you take things in the Bible literally. It depends, it depends on lots of things. So we live in this world where the word Christian is almost this very vague, ambiguous, undefinable word that somehow that we like label ourselves with but it doesn't, it's just so vague that sometimes it doesn't help. It doesn't help me. In fact, sometimes I believe that when I think of myself and identify myself as a Christian, because it's so vague, it actually hinders my relationship with God. It doesn't help it. Let me explain that. Jesus never called himself a Christian. He never called any of the people who followed him a Christian. The word Christian only appears in the Bible three times, and it was always in a reference to people who were not followers of Jesus, referring to the people who were followers of Jesus as those Christians. And in fact, the, the original word, it means little Christ. That's what Christian means. It was um, a term that people in the Roman Empire came up with as a derogatory term to describe the people that follow Jesus. So they were calling them little Christs. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a compliment. It was a, a derogatory slang term that they were using to call them that. So think of it, they're not, they're not going, oh, you're a Christian. They're like, no, you are a Christian, a little itty bitty like Christ. You, you just are little itty mini, mini, mini Christ. I don't know if the accent was correct. I just kind of threw that in there. I just, it was just a stab in the dark. But I don't find comfort in the vagueness and the fogginess of the word Christian. Here's what it does for me sometimes. It allows me loopholes. It allows me excuses. 
Because I'm like, well, it's Christian, you know, Christian's kind of like, not everyone does it this way. And, you know, you can be a Christian and do this, or you can do a Christian. Like, I start finding loopholes in the vagueness. I think it suppresses my growth and my relationship with Jesus, because in this vagueness, I'm like, well, you know, I know it says that, but I can interpret it maybe a different way. And, you know, it's, and I find myself comparing, you know, you're comparing, well, I mean, that guy says he's a Christian, and, and all this vagueness that happens with the word Christian. So let me throw up another word that I think is much less vague and much more clear. The word disciple. Now I love the word disciple because all of a sudden it takes all the fogginess and all the vagueness out of that and it like laser focused like all of a sudden it's like well now if I'm a disciple of Jesus all of a sudden, like, things become a lot more clear. It's, it's a word that's hard to wiggle around. It's hard not to know what it means. It's a word that shows up 310 times in the New Testament. It's the word that Jesus called his followers. He called them to be disciples. It's a word that brings crystal clear Focus. It takes out the loopholes, takes out the excuses. And this morning, I want to look in the book of John to four different passages where Jesus called his disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, our followers to be disciples. And I want to look at different characteristics. Okay, so if you want to grab your Bible or turn your cell phone on or iPad or tablet or whatever it is that you look at the scriptures. If not, I'll have them up on the screen. But we're going to be in the book of John. And here's the bottom line of what we're going to see in these four passages. That being a disciple, identifying yourself as a disciple, it clarifies. It clarifies my character, my commitment, my calling, and my confidence. It clarifies all those things. And I need that in my life. I need that kind of clarity. So let's look first at John chapter 8. And we're going to see Jesus bringing character clarification to what you and I are supposed to be. In John 8 verse 31. It says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my what? Disciples. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus reminds his followers that it's not just about following him, it's not about just believing all the right things. That there's this, this idea of obedience. And he says, if you are my disciples, you will do what I say. A disciple is obedient to the teachings of Jesus. Now, Kyle Eidelman is a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, and he wrote a phenomenal book called Not a Fan, and this is just a brief quote out of that book. He says, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. Interesting idea there. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not close, so close that it requires anything from them. It's interesting when you read about Jesus' teaching he was never worried about the size of the crowd. He was never worried about the popularity. He was never worried about what people thought of him. He was always worried about people being obedient to what he said. And to me, the word Christian is so vague that when I think of myself as a disciple, then all of a sudden I go, oh, th now that's what I do. I am to follow Jesus. I'm to act like Jesus. I am to make decisions like Jesus. I am to treat other people like Jesus. And so this whole idea of character all of a sudden becomes, instead of being vague, becomes clear. Here's another 
word in John chapter 12. Jesus clarifies our commitment in John chapter 12. Look at verse 25. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing in, for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Many Christians at times do this thing where we compare ourselves with other people. And in the comparison, we make ourselves feel better because instead of thinking ourselves of being a disciple in the, worm, in the realm of being a Christian, things are a little more vague. And as long as we're like, you know, above the curve and God's gonna grade on a curve, as long as we're like, you know, above 70%, then maybe we're good. We're in the world of discipleship. Jesus says, it, it, it's like this. If you love the world, you're gonna lose your life. And if you hate the world, you're going to gain your life. And all of a sudden, it becomes much more clear on what Jesus is talking about. I have a tendency to remind my wife of how fortunate she is to be married to me sometimes. <laughs> okay, and when I do that, here's how I do it. I compare myself to other husbands. And I'm like, honey, at least you're not married to that guy over there, okay? <laughs> at least I'm not like that kind of loser of a husband. Uh, but here's what happens when I do that. Am I really truly expressing my love for my wife? Am I really trying to be the husband that she deserves and needs for me to be? No, I've just found some other people that in my opinion, from a real quick observation of judgment, don't appear to do things as well as I think that I do them. And that's really a crazy game. And the commitment that Jesus is asking of us is a clarification of the commitment that Jesus is like, no, it's not really that unclear. You know, if you focus on being about you and comparing yourself to others, then you've missed the point. But if it's about what can you deny yourself to follow me, then it becomes a little more crystal clear. Turn to John 13. Go one more chapter over because Jesus gives us a clarification of our calling. Verse 34, so I now... So now I am giving you a new commandment to love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So it's easy for us as Christians sometimes to compare our knowledge for God with intimacy for God. But just because we know about God doesn't necessarily mean we know God. Now, when I was in high school and in junior high, there were... Um, Lots of different churches and different youth groups around where I lived that had Bible Bowl teams. Does anybody know what Bible Bowl is? Okay, there's a few. A few of you did. Okay, it's kind of a quiz game. The, the easiest way to explain it is it's kind of like Jeopardy, but you don't have to answer in the form of a question. And Alex Trebek is not there. Okay, those are two big differences. But it's this, this quiz game where different churches would have teams and you would um, try to remember, they would give you like a book of the Bible and they would ask all these obscure questions and kids would study to know so that they could press the buzzer first and answer like, what was Noah's second cousin, third niece's middle name? And they go, eh. And they would answer, you know, the question, Jehoshaphat. And you're like, Mary, it, Kristen knew that. Yeah, but I was always sitting there going like, I have no idea. How do these kids know this thing? Here's the interesting thing about Bible Bowl. I, I, I just observed that sometimes because 
kids that I knew knew a lot about Bible Bowl and knew a lot about all the answers, it didn't always equate into their life or their faith. It was like another thing. It was out there. And I think many times as Christians, we, we miss the point. As Christians, it's easy to say, well, it's, it's vague and I know God. But as a disciple, knowing him is at a different level. It's a different level of intimacy. I like what Andy Stanley says about this. This is a quote from him. If we'd gotten this one teaching of Jesus right, our world would be a different and better place. We can all be Christians, but to love each other the way Jesus loved people, that places believers in a much smaller category. And I think that smaller category is called a disciple, of loving people that we would be known as followers of Jesus by the love that we show to people in this world. And my calling is to love people in the way that Jesus loved people. Now the fourth clarification that Jesus gives us in John 15 is a clarification of confidence. I think identifying as a disciple gives you confidence. Look at John 15 verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my father. The word disciple could also be translated apprentice. And if you think of an apprentice, think of that, that word picture. An apprentice is someone who learns uh, under the authority of someone else. Now, back in the first century, being an apprentice for carpentry or an ironsmith or um, a farmer or a shepherd was kind of different than it is today. Because today, if you serve an apprenticeship, you know, you'd go work and then you would go home. When you were apprenticed back in this day and time, you lived with the person who was teaching you. You followed them. You lived in their house. You were around them. You were putting yourself under their teaching. An apprenticeship is someone who's putting yourself under someone else's authority. And Jesus says that the way that we follow him as a disciple is like being an apprentice and putting ourselves under his leadership. And my heart wants that. I want to be that kind of follower of Jesus. Now, before I had kids, there was one store in the mall that I disliked more than any other store. I didn't understand it, thought it was dumb, thought it was a waste of money, and saw no need at all to ever go in it. And it's called Build-A-Bear. Okay, so the concept is you go in there and you buy these $50 to $100 bears that are stuffed animals and I thought, what a dumb concept. Like, why in the world would anyone want to spend 50 to 75 to $100 on a stuffed bear when you could go to Walmart or Target or Dollar General or go to the fair? And, like, you could get these animals or you could put quarters in the little grabby machine that goes and picks them up, you know, and dumps them out. It's just a stuffed animal. And then I had kids. And it kind of changed it because they're like, Daddy, Daddy, can we, can we go to Build-A-Bear? We want to go to Build-A-Bear. And so we go in there. So I, I took the step of actually walking in the store. And we go in there, and, you know, they're picking out. I want this color, and you can put the stuffing in there. And they're like, Daddy, 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 can we get a Build-A-Bear? Can we make a Build-A-Bear? And I'm like, absolutely. Sure, yeah, kids, you can get one. Yeah, go ahead and get you one. And so they pick out the color, and they put the right foam in, and they got a hat, and they're like, look at the shoes, and look at this we got on it. We give it a name and everything. Now, what happened was that all of a sudden, there there was really no relationship with me and and Build-A-Bear. And all of a sudden, when I had kids, 
and I loved those kids as their father, and they go in there, and that's what they want. You know what happened? As their father, I wanted to give them what they wanted. That's what changed everything. I wanted to give my kids what they wanted. I saw the joy on their face. I saw the pleasure that came from that. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, we're buying stuff from Build-A-Bear, the very thing that I said I would never, ever do. Now, years later, I have no idea where those bears are, those expensive bears. We've, we've lost them. But Jesus desires that kind of intimacy from you and I. And what we just saw in that last passage is the confidence that we can have that when there's that kind of intimacy, when we are a disciple of Jesus, he desires to hear us, to know us, to, to give us the things that we ask for, to give us the things that we need. And I want that kind of relationship with my heavenly father. And I want you to have that kind of relationship. I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus and I want to be his disciple. Now we're going to skip over to the book of Luke. So you have to go backwards if you have a Bible. And we're going to go to Luke chapter nine. Going to look at one more passage very quick. And there's some, couple of scary things in this passage in Luke 9. It's Jesus talking to people about having them come and follow him. And look, look at what it says. He, this is Jesus speaking. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Like, yeah, Jesus, I, I want to do that, but there's like some other things that I'm you're going to have to give me some time, and I'm going to take care of some other things. There's the first let me. First let me do this. First let me do that. For, I, I'll get around to doing that, but I got some other things that I want to do and take care of, and I'm not quite ready to do it right now. Verse 61, another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. First, let me do this. First, let me do that, Jesus. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, first we read those verses and we think, gosh, Jesus, do you have to be such a jerk? I mean, it seems like you're being a little harsh. But what's really going on in this passage is if people are giving conditions to following Jesus. They're saying, you know, uh, yeah, I will, but you know, there's these things first and I'm not really ready to like fully commit. I got these things going on and I'm not ready to like totally walk away. And these conditions that we have, that you and I have also w are obstacles. They're obstacles in us following Jesus. There are obstacles in us being a disciple because we're, we're comfortable and we think, well, I'm gonna do that, but first I got the, you know, I got this uh, habit and I'm not really ready to give it up or deal with it yet. So, uh, you know, yeah, I believe all the right things. I'll, you know, do church and that, but I've, I've got this thing and I'm, I'm kind of comfortable here. Or maybe it's an attitude. It's pride or, or, or anger or, or fear or something. We're like, I don't really want to let go of that because I, I really kind of find comfort in this, the way that I am. Or maybe it's a relationship. It's a, it's a toxic friendship. It's a, it's a dating relationship that you know that's holding you back. But there's something there that's just keeping you. And you're like, well, but first, Jesus, but first, but first, but first. But following Jesus is not about but first. It's, he says, follow me, and you're either all in or, or, or you're all out. It's one or the other. Now, up here, I have two 9-volt batteries. One of them is good, and one of them is not good. 
Okay, there's a really quick way to tell whether the battery is good or not. Does anyone, would anyone like to test this and then let me know which one of these is good and which one of these is bad? Sean, I'm going to pick on you. Can, can you stand up? This is my friend Sean. It's part of a Sunday night Bible study that I lead. Okay, can you, can you do this and tell us which one of these is which, one, which one's good and which one's bad? Okay, you just stick out your tongue, and you just put your tongue on it, and you tell me which one is good and which one's bad, okay? That's how it works. This one's good. It's good, okay. So then this one is bad. Can you verify that? I can't really tell. You can't really tell. Okay, so good one, bad one. Okay, so now you can make fun of Sean. He licks batteries, okay? You can, can say that. All right. I can't get my wife to do this at home. So I take the battery out of the smoke detector and I test it and put it in there and she, she, she just will not do it. She will not. There's no way she's going to stick her tongue on the battery and see if that's going to happen. And so I, back when I grew up in Chandler, Indiana, like that's what we did for fun. Okay, we just like <laughs> tested batteries, which probably explains a lot. But uh, now the reason I had Sean do that is because notice like he was not real uh, interested in doing that. There was a little bit of like, uh, I'm not sure what I'm getting myself into. I have a friend named Kent and uh, he lives about an hour south of here and he put in an invisible dog fence for his dog because the dog would run away all the time. So he buries this cable in the ground that has voltage and he puts a collar on the dog and the way that it works, if you don't understand, is when the dog gets close to the, the voltage of the fence, he gets shocked, kind of like putting a nine volt battery on your tongue, okay? And so the dog then stays in the yard and won't run away because he doesn't want to get shocked. That's how an invisible dog fence works. So here's a dog collar. It's got these two prongs on it. So one Sunday afternoon, we were playing uh, sand volleyball at Kent's house. He had a lot of people over. This is a no alcohol story too, I'm telling you up front, all right? And we're sitting there and the dog's collar is on the picnic bench. And I said, I wonder what the dog feels when he gets close to that, uh, that fence. And they were like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, haven't you ever wondered that? I mean, like, why? I mean, how bad could it possibly be? So I, I took the thing, and, and it, here's what, it ticks when you get closer to it. It starts ticking, and it ticks faster as you get closer to it. So I, I took the little prongs and put them on my hand, and I was inching up, which looked really silly. Like, I'm, I'm in his backyard, and I'm inching up, and I put it on my hand, and it started going... And all of a sudden, I felt that, and it's like an involuntary twerking. You know what I mean? I mean, you just go, whoa, okay, I didn't mean to do that. It's just like, okay, I'm good. I think I'm counting my hands and my fingers. All right. So uh, I did, he said he had it on five. It goes up to 10. I'm like, I, I don't need 10. I just wanted to see what five did. Now, here's the point of that story. There are a lot of us because of our, but first Jesus, but first let me, but first let me, that we live in these little worlds where we don't really want the freedom, we don't allow ourselves the freedom that God is calling us to experience because we're in this little world with a fence. And we know that if we take a step out of it, there will be a small amount of uncomfortability to do that, but the fear of the uncomfortability or touching it to our tongue or walking up and getting zapped keeps us to just stay where we're at. We're just like, 
I would just stay, I'd stay here because I, I don't want to like do that, which I always thought for a dog, okay, dogs love to chase cars. They love to run. Like for a dog, you could tell a dog, dude, if you'll get running as fast as you can and just like run through the invisible fence, okay, you will be free. And it won't, it'll be like a half a second of, you know, of a shock and then you'll be free. And then you can have all the things that you want and you can chase squirrels and do whatever you want to. But the dog's like, no, I'll just stay in this little invisible fence. I think you and I sometimes have barriers that keep us from being the disciple that Jesus has called us to be. So questions to consider today. What is hindering you from being a disciple of Jesus? I don't know the answer to that for for you. I, I know what it is in my life. I don't know that for your life, but what is it for you? What are the thing or things that hinder you from, from saying, you know, I'm not going to live in this Christian vague world. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus and experience the, the life of being alive and awake and free the way that he has called me to be. And I'm willing to, to, to break from that barrier to get outside of the things that hold me back. And the next question is, are you willing to do that? Because a lot of times I think we, we hear about Jesus um, what, what he wants for us, but we're like, but I'm just comfortable in my little world, in my little invisible fence, and I'll just keep my collar on. If I get close, then I go, no, I'm just going to stay here. But I think God has so much more in store for us. And I think of, a, of, a, of what would happen if all of us could break free of all the barriers that hold us back, and we truly followed Jesus in the way that he calls us to do. What a transformation it would make in this room, what a transformation it would make in the places that we work, what a transformation it would make on campus, what a transformation it would make in our neighborhoods, in the people that, that we hang out with, if we would break out of the barrier that holds us back from truly being a disciple of Jesus. Let's pray. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Now with your head bowed, here's what I, I, I want to do. If if there's something that we've talked about today that's kind of connected with you, and if you feel like, you know, there is this barrier that I have, there, there's something, there's, there's this thing in my life, and that's the thing that holds me back. It's the thing that keeps me from truly, truly being a disciple and following Jesus. Or, and uh, maybe other people don't know about it, but I, I, wa- I want to be freed from that. I, I want to I let it go. I, I just want to break through the thing that, feels, I feel like keeps me back. The thing that the evil one uses over and over, the doubt or the habit or, or the questioning or the relationship. And I know, I know what it is and I know I need to step from that. And if you've come here today and that's where you're at, I, I want to do this. I want to pray for you in that way and pray and believing that God has the power to um, release you from that and break you through that. And if you find yourself in that situation today, would you just be bold enough just to stand up right where you are in your seat? Just, just stand up if you find yourself there, because I'm going to pray for you in just a second. If it's something that you need to be freed from, you need to break free from, just stand up with where you're at. Let me pray for you. Father, for the people standing, I thank you for their boldness, and I pray that you would answer their prayer and their desire to be released from the thing that it is that holds them back, holds them back from experiencing you in the way that you want us to experience it. Father, free them from that. Help them to see that they are your child, that they are a disciple of you, and you have an incredible life for them. And Father, for all of us in this room, we collectively pray together that we would be the people that you would use to transform Bloomington, 
the United States, that, that, that we would join with other people who call themselves followers of Jesus who are disciples, and we would know that there is a power within us and it is your Holy Spirit that allows us to hear from you, allows us to trust you, and it empowers us to go out and make a difference in this world. Father, I thank you for those people standing today, and I pray now in Jesus' name that you would give them everything that they need to uh, break free from that which holds them back. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to move into a time of taking the Lord's Supper together, and we do that every week here at Exodus, and there will be some people here to my right and some people here to my left, and we just ask you uh, 